126 as we come to study it this evening. And our theme as we work our way through this short psalm is joy on the journey. Joy on the journey. How joyful a person are you? Or more to the point, how joyful a Christian are you? Included in what Paul describes as the fruit of the Spirit, various parts of that fruit, one of the things that Paul mentions is something called joy. And it's a word also used several times in the psalm that we've just been reading. Joy is not just happiness. It's not just throwing in a a smiley emoji to a text message or a social media post. Joy in the Bible is something far deeper and greater and more long lasting than trying to be happy or even just to appear happy to the world. True joy is something that only Christians can experience. That's what Paul's saying to us when he says that part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. It's something that only the Holy Spirit can give to a person. Joy is living with confidence, hope, thankfulness, even in the most heartbreaking, frustrating or anxiety-inducing circumstances. Because you know that this world is as close to hell as you will ever be and that you're on a journey to a world infinitely better. When you take a journey with your friends or family, particularly if you travel along familiar routes, uh, it usually brings to mind some experiences or memories of the past. Maybe that was the case for some of us over the Christmas holidays. Maybe you were traveling to see friends or loved ones uh, along old familiar roads that you're not on very much anymore. Uh, And familiar places, familiar journeys, uh, they sometimes trigger memories of the ups and downs of the past. Perhaps we come away from them with either fresh anxiety or fresh hope for the future. Well, Psalm 126 is an example of that. It's a, it's a, it's a psalm for a road trip, if you like. It's one of the songs of ascent as the pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem to observe the holy days commanded by God. And in this psalm, you have to picture it. that They're, they're taking those winding roads to Jerusalem And imagine they get their their first glimpse of the city on a hill, this great city, uh, symbolic of all all their faith, all the promises of God converging on this place. And as the city fills the gaze of the pilgrims, it sparks off memories, sparks off things that they've been taught for all their lives about their God. And it fills them with joy. The Christian life is often portrayed in similar terms as a a journey. John Bunyan, of course, so famously and vividly portrayed the Christian life as a journey to, to heaven, the celestial city, as he called it. And that being the case, the Christian life can and should be, friends, a journey of joy. And so again, the question for us tonight, how joyful are we? How joyful are you? Have we felt or sounded particularly joyful these last few months or even years at this point? Or have complaints about inconveniences and debates about restrictions and worries about everything that's going on? Have those things been eating away at our joy? 
As a new year begins, I want us to consider from Psalm 126 how we can maintain joy on our Christian journey. How we can be joyful despite any unresolved anxieties or issues from 2021. Despite the unanswered questions of 2022. And so we're going to just think very simply about this psalm tonight under two headings. First of all, joy remembered in looking back. Joy remembered in looking back. And this is the first half of the psalm, verses 1 to 3. Verse 1 declares, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. Zion being another name for Jerusalem. Synonymous with God's people. And that phrase restored the fortunes. Literally the language there means when God turned the turning. When God in other words turned things completely around from where they seemed to be going. Uh, We thought it was all going one direction. God intervened and everything went in a completely different direction. It's actually a phrase that crops up various times in the Old Testament. Ten times in the book of Jeremiah for example. God declares I will restore the fortunes of Israel. It's a promise from God that even in what seems dire circumstances, the worst possible circumstances that God's people could be in, even then God can turn things around for his covenant people. And Psalm 126 was written uh, for people remembering, looking back on such a, a turning around. Notice it says, when the Lord restored our fortunes. So they're looking back. They're, they're thinking. They're remembering a particular time. Or maybe several times. When God intervened and changed everything for the better. And as the people look back to such times. It fills them with excitement and joy. Look at the language used in verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, the second half of the verse. We were like those who dream when God restored Jerusalem when God restored uh, the needs of his people it was like a dream come true they're saying it was more than we could ever have hoped for when he brought us through the Red Sea and the Egyptians perished behind us when he gave victory after victory to King David when we arrived back in Jerusalem after 70 years of exile in Babylon huge turnarounds A dream come true. They sing in verse 2. Our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue with shouts of joy. They were were overcome with joy. It was brimming out of them. It was so clear in their faces as well as in their voices. They're just tears of happiness overcome with joy. I'm sure we've all heard people on television uh, look like that and, and talk like that at various times. Maybe, maybe someone wins a huge amount of money on a game show or, or a footballer or, or a rugby player wins the World Cup and, and the interviewer grabs them on the pitch and they just look stunned. There's just a big silly smile on their faces and what do they say? It's a dream come true. Can hardly believe it. <coughs> and that's how God's people felt when God turned things around for Israel in days gone by. And the restoration, the turning around that they're remembering was so dramatic that the pagan nations noticed it. Look at verses 2 and 3. Then they said (coughs) among the nations, that is the nations said, the Lord has done great things for them. 
So the nations are noticing this and even they are saying, look what their God has done. And in verse 3, God's people respond, yes, you're right. That is the cause of our joy. Our God has done great things for us. We are so glad. (coughs) Where you look for joy tells you where your priorities lie. Who are what you're most concerned with or invested in. These people are believers in the God of Israel. Their joy is bound up with the the fortunes of God's people, if you like, the, how it's going for God's people, how strong their witness is, how much glory is coming to the name of their God. That's what they live for. That's what they're concerned with. And as they trudge the long, dangerous, tiring road up to, up to Jerusalem, and increasingly as the years went on, there were fewer and fewer of them bothering to do this. <coughs> there were fewer and fewer pilgrims bothering to go to Jerusalem. And so they had to encourage each other. Do you remember when God restored our fortunes before? Do you remember the joy that filled us? Do you remember how little hope we had? Do you remember what a joke we were to the nations? And do you remember (coughs) the restoration that God brought about? These are men and women, friends, concerned with the glory of God, the welfare of each other, their witness to the nations. And so they can sing with thankful hearts for the joy of yesterday. The joy that comes when God intervenes, when, when God turns things around. And they head on up the road for the next day, the next gathering. Joyful and assured that God can do it again. I'm sure many of us have taken time to look back on this year and Think about the ups and downs of it. Some people like to post a few highlights, photos on their, on their social media pages, looking back on the, on the best times of the year. Some of you perhaps experienced things that were far from joyful, that you didn't want to perhaps broadcast too far. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks. Some of us perhaps look back on a year of anxiety, ill health. Some of us look back on a year of loss, perhaps the most painful loss imaginable. But hopefully you've had reason as well to look back on this year with some joy, considering all the good things God has given you, the difficulties that he's spared us from, hopefully days of blessing and encouragement. Human beings tend to look at the past in one of two ways. Either we look back And yearn, or we look back and we learn. We either look back and yearn, or we look back and learn. Some people look back on their lives and they just yearn to go back. I wish I still looked like that. I wish I could experience that particular day, that particular moment, that particular season again. We look back and we yearn to be able to do the things we used to do or achieve the things that once we did. Maybe you know people who you would, you would say, maybe you wouldn't say it to their face, but you would say they're just living in the past. They're just always going on about things that happened back in the good old days. The people they met way back when or uh, the, the, the person they met that one time. 
Uh, and really, it just seems like they wish they could go back. I remember reading a, an interesting article earlier this year of uh, a young guy who's only, I think, only in his 20s or early 30s in England. And he had decided to turn his house into a 90s house. He just had such fond memories of growing up in the 90s that he kitted out his house with all 90s decor, uh, one of those big TVs that was uh, fatter, you know, it was longer at the back than it was wide. Um, no, no DVD players, no streaming services in his house, just VHS, uh, good old landline telephone, no, no mobile phones. He had the games consoles from the 90s, just wanted to be back in the 1990s. He thought that was the best time ever. Maybe you know someone, they haven't gone to that extreme, but they're just always talking about the past and, and they're yearning for the past. Maybe even you yourself, you, you wish you could go back. You wish you could go back to a relationship or a job opportunity or a church. You look back and you yearn to be back. Certainly plenty of us the last couple of years you know, there's been a lot of talk. We've been yearning to go back to the way things were in 2019. Maybe even in church life, we, we think that way. We, without all the health scares and cancelled plans and restrictions and everything else that's come with life during a pandemic, wouldn't it be better, people have said, if we could just go back? The problem, friends, is that yearning like that gives us no joy. In fact, yearning often robs us of joy. If, if all we're doing is yearning, if all we're doing is wanting to go back, we're not going to have any motivation for today, tomorrow, the challenges that lie ahead. We shouldn't look back and just yearn. We should look back and learn. The whole reason Psalm 126 was being sung was for God's people to look back and learn from the past. God has restored us before. God can restore us again. And that's a good thing for us to do as individual believers and as a congregation. If you're a Christian, it's good to look back and remind yourself, I was a slave to sin. I was a stubborn, stiff-necked, hard-hearted sinner. I had no hope and no joy. And the Lord Jesus restored my fortunes. He turned my life around. And maybe you can look at other times in your life as a Christian where maybe you'd backslidden or, or maybe some of the griefs and pains you'd gone through had left you doubting and questioning and drifting in your faith. But God entered in and God by his word and spirit and by the comfort of his people, he restored you again. And he grabbed you as it were by the scruff of the neck and kept you going in your walk with him. And friends, if Jesus has done all of that for you already, can he not sustain you for today, tomorrow, this new year? If he's brought the church this far after 2,000 years since his return to heaven, can he not continue to sustain his church for another year or for however long it is before he returns? Yes, look back. But don't just look back to yearn. Look back to learn and give thanks and be fueled in your faith for tomorrow. Psalm 126 verse 2 says that the joy of God's people was obvious even to the pagan nations around them. They could clearly see their God, their Lord, their Saviour has done great things for them. Can people say that about us? 
Is it obvious to people who know us, who aren't believers, that even if they can't describe it, even if they don't know why exactly it is, there's a joy in us that they don't have. There's, there's a confidence in us that they don't have. There's, there's an assurance that they see in us that they want for themselves. Have we acted any differently? Have we sounded any more joyful than unbelievers during these last couple of years? Or have we seemed as worried and pessimistic and anxious as everybody else? The church in our part of the world can look back over hundreds of years at God sustaining us and restoring our fortunes and reviving us more than once. God has done great things for us. And as we long and pray to see that happen again, we should pray joyful, confident, expectant prayers. And so, dear friend, whatever you're facing tonight in this new year, whatever pressures, problems, look back and learn. Look back and give thanks that God has brought you this far. Pray that God would fill you with this joy that we read of here and confidence that he can do whatever is needed for you in the days to come. So joy remembered looking back. And then secondly and finally this evening, joy requested looking forward. Joy requested looking forward. This is the second half of the psalm, verses 4 to 6. Verse 4 says, now restore our fortunes, O Lord. So the first time they were, they were talking about when God had done this before, but now it's a request. Now this is, they, turn, they turn their memories into prayers. They say, okay, you've restored us before, God. Now we're asking you to restore us again. And if this psalm was first sung, as, we, as many would suggest, after the, the exile, when the Jews finally returned to Jerusalem, then it was being sung at a time when God's people needed restoration. It was sung at a time of, of difficulty and challenge for God's people. There was opposition to the very existence of Jerusalem. Uh, we'll see this, God willing, in the weeks ahead. Uh, plan, uh, preliminary plans anyway. I'll finalize it this week. But we're going to make our way over the next few weeks through the book of Haggai. Time when post-exile, God's people were were discouraged, they were beaten down, they were small, they faced opposition to rebuilding Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple. On top of that, there were periods of famine, economic hardship and uncertainty. They were tiny. The kingdom of Israel didn't really exist anymore. It was just a, a small remnant of Jewish people and they were a bit of a joke to the world around them. And in the middle of all that, friends, the prayer of these pilgrims is, Lord, restore our fortunes, restore our joy. And there are two pictures in this psalm to show us exactly what kind of restoration they hoped for or were praying for. First of all, in verse four, look what he says. He says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev, like streams in the Negev. The Negev was an area in the south of the Promised Land. And it was an area that could become very dry and, and, and worn out very quickly. If there, if, if there was a lack of rain for a few weeks, the Negev would just dry up. It would be a dry riverbed. Everything around it would wither up and die very quickly. But at the same time, if, if there was heavy rain for even just a few days, the Negev could be transformed very quickly. Life would come surging back into it. 
Heavy rains would mean that the vegetation began to grow again. And a scene of brown, barren land could quickly become green land with the water flowing through it. Some of our farmers can maybe think of times coming up to the harvest when one or two good weeks of really ideal weather just changed the picture altogether and suddenly what looked like perhaps being a fairly average year became a great year. Uh, Things change very quickly. And so that's the kind of instant, dramatic transformation that the psalmist prays for first here. Something unmissable, something drastic and obvious. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. But then there's a second picture, a second way of describing the restoration that he's praying for. Look at verses 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. All of a sudden, the picture changes here. And now it's not instant transformation, it's, it's daily frustration. It's daily perspiration, sweat, tears, hard work. Can you picture this broken-hearted sower of seed? With the scorching sun beating down upon him. His hands are dusty and dry. The, feet is, the, the ground is crumbling and cracking under his feet. And he has just a tiny bag of seed. And even though it seems hopeless. And even though it breaks his heart to scatter the little bit of seed that he has. Wondering what will happen. He just keeps going. Sowing seeds and shedding tears day after day after day. You don't sow in tears when the weather is perfect. And you've got plenty to spare. You sow in in tears when the ground is dry, there's no sign of life and your stock is diminishing by the minute. And yet what's the result of this heartbreaking but faithful work? Twice we're told, he shall reap. He shall reap with shouts of joy. He shall come home. Notice the certainty. He shall come home bringing his sheaves with him. So notice, friends, here, two very different pictures of the restoration that the the psalmist is praying for. We have the Negev, the instant, dramatic, unmissable, quick transformation. And we have the lowly sower of seed, enduring daily frustration. But the result of them both is the same. Whether it's instant and dramatic or whether it takes a lifetime, the result is joy. The result is a, a wonderful harvest, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful gathering in of the crops, a wonderful reason to rejoice and give thanks. And this is the kind of attitude that we need to cultivate in our lives and in our church, that we expect great things while we toil at small things. We expect great things while we toil at small things. Some Christians, we, we love to, to dream big and pray big. Some Christians, they, they challenge us, don't they, by, by how big their prayers seem to be. 
And they're praying for churches to be planted and they're praying for lots of people to hear the gospel and they're praying for lots of, uh, lots of good things happening in the local church. Elders appointed, people joining, wonderful things happening in the church and in society. They dream of the Negev. And that's good and we should dream of the Negev. But some of you can't bring yourselves to dream of the Negev. You only see the, the day of small things that we're living in. And, and, and your focus is on that. And your focus is, I'm going to be faithful with the tiny bag of seed, the little bit of time, the little bit of gifts, the few opportunities that I have. I'm going to be faithful with that. And I'm going to commit that to the Lord. And even if I'm weeping for the rest of my life, I'm going to keep on sowing the seed. And that is good, friends. And that is a right attitude to have as well. We need both. We need both. We need to be dreaming of the Negev. And we need to be going out and sowing the seed day by day. That's what it means to be joyful. It's not just having a, a happy face all the time. It's not just putting on a front of the world and pretending everything is awesome, as people like to say today. True joy is deeply passionate about getting to the flooded Negev. But it's also deeply committed to plodding through the barren fields. The picture of the farmer sowing his seed in tears, it tells us that if you want to see sheaves in your hands, you might need to be prepared for tears in your eyes first. And maybe that's true for you in your own personal life at this moment in time. Right now, you just need to trudge on, believing that the blessing will come in time. As church leaders seek wisdom and guidance for what does and doesn't happen in church life at the minute, we should look back to learn and to be refueled in our joy. And we also need to look forward and hope, trusting that God will provide for our worship and our witness to continue. Parents, as you navigate the, the difficult terrain of a house full of demanding little ones, trust, trust that every moment of Teaching and discipline and family worship is a seed sown, perhaps sown in tears, but it will reap a harvest. Whether you're unemployed or work is piling up, whether you're dealing with heartache or celebration, does it bring you joy to know that God can restore our fortunes, that he has provided the great turning, the greatest transformation that we needed, the Lord Jesus Christ, Dying in our place for our sins. And if he has given us that friends. Will he not also meet all of our needs. According to his abundant riches in Christ Jesus. Maybe you're faithfully sowing gospel seed. In the lives of unbelieving family members. Friends, neighbours. And your word. You perhaps feel like it's just falling on deaf ears. Your invitations to Bible study or hospitality or worship go unanswered. Are you willing to sow in tears, knowing that God can bring transformation when and how he chooses? Sometimes it is really hard to be joyful. Maybe some of you have had your joy hindered by physical pain, sickness, no end in sight. Some people today aren't joyful simply because they've been looking for joy in all the wrong places. 
possessions, great experiences, social media popularity, whatever it might be. Maybe, as I said earlier, maybe this pandemic has been sapping your joy in one way or another. But friends, the church must be joyful. Like these faithful pilgrims, like that faithful sower, the church must be joyful. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's part of the evidence that you belong to Jesus Christ. If something or someone has been getting in the way of your joy, bring it to God in prayer. Ask for his Holy Spirit. Ask for a fresh appetite for his word. Ask for fresh joy in Christ. And plod on. And sow in tears. The world needs to see the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Because the world will find joy nowhere else. And of course Jesus hasn't called us to do anything that he wasn't prepared to do himself. I wonder where the words of this psalm in Jesus' mind when he told the parable of the sower who went out to sow the seed and so much of it fell on unwelcome ground. Or as he commanded his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers to go out into the field. Or as he himself had his cross placed upon his shoulders and made his way to Calvary. Jesus once said, John 12, 24, unless a seed goes into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. See, Jesus understood that before the joy of the harvest comes the pain of sowing. He sowed the seed in tears as he preached and healed and taught and prayed and so few listened. He died in our place for our sins and today he is watching the sheaves come into heaven until heaven is brimful with joy at the harvest and the kingdom comes in all its fullest like streams in the Negev bursting their banks. And so if you're praying this evening to the Lord of the harvest for the souls of your family or your friends or the gathering in of the nations or for greater joy in your own heart and life this new year, And the promise of this psalm is a promise for you. You shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing your sheaves with you. Amen.